Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, if you know the entire story of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, uh, recorded in the Gospel of John chapter 3, then you know these two verses are part of that story, words that were spoken by Jesus himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Several decades after the ministry of Jesus, the author of the little epistle we know as 1 John wrote these words, almost as if he was reflecting on the words in the Gospel of John. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Love comes from God. Bottom line, God is love. In fact, the entire storyline of Scripture is that God loves us. God loves you. God loves me. You may not know his name, but one of the most influential theologians in churches of Christ over the past century uh, is Tom Albright. Uh, now lives up in the Northeast. He's in the latter years of his life. He taught at ACU and Pepperdine. He wrote extensively. He encouraged Christian scholarship in so many ways. And either directly or indirectly, he has influenced thousands of preachers. He has challenged those of us who preach to center our preaching on the grace and the love of God, to put Jesus at the center of all that we say and do, to truly preach the gospel as good news. I mentioned his name this morning because one of the books he wrote was a little book on the theology of the Old Testament. A theology of the Old Testament would simply ask, and so what is at the heart of the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament tell us about God, about humanity, about life? Most theologies of the Old Testament that I have in my library are hundreds of pages long. Albright's theology of the Old Testament is less than 200 pages. It is a beautiful description of the story of God that unfolds in Scripture. And then catch this, the title of his little book is, He Loves Forever the enduring message of God from the Old Testament. He talks about the story of God, the story of the divine family who created us in the very image of God. We were created to share relationship with the divine family, to experience love and intimacy with God and with one another, the story of God, the story of humanity, 
Humanity who rejects God, who rebels against God. And yet the story of God is the story of a God who loves us, who pursues us. In fact, one of the most beautiful words in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word hesed, often translated steadfast love. It's the word in the text that Aaron read this morning. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. God's steadfast love. Or as the title of Albright's, Albright's book would put it, he loves forever. And so we watch the story of God unfold in the Old Testament, and then we come to the incarnation, to the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus, and we see the steadfast love of God in ways that are difficult for us to comprehend. The amazing grace, the amazing love of God. The God of the universe not only longs for a relationship with us, He pursues us. He gives Himself for us. To use the words of Nicodemus in that little video clip, for God so loved. I preach almost every Sunday at Monterey, and I pray my messages point you to God every Sunday, point you to Jesus every Sunday. But I want you to hear me clearly. One of the reasons I've come today as we begin to launch our fall season, one of the reasons I've come today is simply to remind you that God loves you. No matter how unloved you may feel, no matter how many temptations you're struggling with, no matter what your past holds, God loves you. The words are not original with me, but I love speaking them. No matter what your history is, God loves you. God loves you just the way you are. In fact, there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. God loves you just the way you are. But the beauty of God's love is He is not content to leave you there. He wants you to be just like Jesus. And so we talk about the, in, the incredible, pursuing, transforming love of God. Which brings us back to Nicodemus. 613 rules, 613 laws in the Old Testament. I want you to hear me clearly. Every one of those rules is important because they come from God. In fact, one of the Psalms declares, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And so hear me clearly, every one of those laws is important because they come from God. But hear me just as clearly, it's not about the rules. It is about the God who gave us a covenant relationship, about the God who invites us into a relationship with Him. If our focus settles purely on the rules, and by the way, I think that is our human tendency, that is the temptation. The human tendency is to make it all about the rules, and so as a result, we make it complicated. 
Like the rabbis of old, we began ranking the commandments. We began even adding to the commandments. We make our traditions more important than the words of God. We become legalistic, which at its core means it's all about keeping the rules rather than relationship. And unfortunately, when we start talking about keeping the rules, many times it means picking the rules that we want and ignoring the rules that we don't want to deal with. And the story of Nicodemus reminds us that it needs to be a focus on relationship with God. And in the midst of that, again, to use the words of the video, Jesus took what was so complicated, maybe better, what we have made so complicated, and he made it simple. Again, I want you to hear me carefully. He made it simple, no longer complicated, but in the simple, we discover the most profound lifestyle imaginable. You know the text well, but I want you to hear it again this morning from Matthew 22. There are parallels in Mark and Luke, but I want you to hear it from Matthew 22. And as I lead into that text, let me remind you of the overall flow of the Gospel of Matthew. When you come to Matthew chapter 21, we read about the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. The first encounter that Jesus has after his triumphal entry is when he turns over the tables of the money changers in the temple courts. He says to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. As if to say, you've lost sight of what is most important. You've lost sight of the very heart of God. You've lost sight of the very mission of God. The next encounter that Jesus has with people in the temple courts is an encounter with some of the religious leaders of that day who question his authority. And then you begin to read about encounters with the Pharisees and Sadducees who try to trap Jesus. And they try to trap Jesus by asking questions regarding the rules. And so the Pharisees pose questions about paying taxes to Caesar. The Sadducees pose questions about marriage and the resurrection. And then this great text, beginning at verse 34 of Matthew 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, who was an expert in the law, tested him. I want you to notice the language. Tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now again, let me set the overall context. The question is, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Surely none of us would ever be guilty of asking that kind of question. So what's the greatest commandment? As if we could just dismiss everything else. But it wasn't uncommon for those Jews, especially the Jewish rabbis, even in the midst of their deep commitment to the Word of God, their tendency was often to rank the commandments. Even to the point, perhaps, of saying, okay, it's not terribly important for you to keep number 400 on the list because, after all, it's number 400. And by the time we get to number 613, well, we can just kind of dismiss that one altogether. 613 commandments in the law. Jesus, which is the greatest? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Perhaps most of you know that he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, what we know as the Shema. And again, I want you to hear me carefully. These are words that every Jew would know. More than that, these are words that every Jew memorized as a child. 
that every Jew would recite on two or three occasions every day when they got up in the morning, when they left their home in the mornings, when they returned in the evenings, when they went to bed. In other words, these words were the mission statement for the people of Israel, the creedal statement for the people of Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then Jesus said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from Leviticus chapter 19. Jesus says, there is a second command like the first, intertwined with the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, again, stay with me if we're not careful We're going to be prone to do the same thing the Jewish rabbis did. We began to write the commands. And so, number one, love the Lord your God. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. What's number three? What's number four? And by the time we get to number 225, or certainly number 613, we begin to dismiss the commands. Please, please notice, Jesus never dismissed a single command. What he does do is drive home the point that everything else hinges on these two principles that he would say are at the heart of our relationship with God. And so the paragraph closes with Jesus saying, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I want you to hear that line again. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You've heard me paraphrase it before. My paraphrase, you get those two right, everything else falls into place. You get those two wrong, None of the others really make any difference. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says there is no greater commandment than these. And so if you would allow me to paraphrase Jesus one more time, Jesus says, okay, folks, that's the mission statement for your life. This is the mission statement for my church. Love God, love others. Uh, to use the language of Scott McKnight, this is the Jesus Creed. What's so fascinating is that most creedal statements, if you begin looking at creedal statements through the years, most creedal statements are centered around what we believe. And please, again, hear me carefully. Never dismiss what we believe. What are our core convictions? What are our core beliefs? Well, our our faith in God the Father, our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, in the beauty of the church, the body of Christ, it matters what we believe. But what is fascinating about the Jesus Creed, those words in Matthew 22, this mission statement that Jesus gives us, what is fascinating is that the emphasis is on what we do rather than what we think or what we believe. Not to dismiss what we believe, but Jesus cuts to the chase and he talks about what we do. And so one of the questions maybe that we as the body of Christ need to grapple with as we look at the history of the church, one of the questions is, why is it that the church at times has so much difficulty loving. Why is it that the church is often known more for its hate rather than its love, for rejecting folks rather than embracing and loving folks? And maybe part of the answer is in recognizing that we have forgotten that we were born to love. 
By the way, if any of that sounds familiar, our mission as a church family at Monterey, we've said for quite some time now, is very simply love God and love others. It is that simple and yet that profound. I'll be the first to confess that we're not a perfect church, that we don't always do love God, love others as well as we should, but I am so grateful that we are on that journey together. And over the next several months, in several series of studies, in both our assemblies and our adult Bible classes, we want to call one another to a deeper love for God and a deeper love for others. Next Sunday, I'm going to begin a sermon series on one of our values, the importance of creating a culture of belonging in a world where often folks find anything but love and welcome and forgiveness. We want to be a body that reaches out and, and embraces and loves folks. Another sermon series that will follow that on the Holy Spirit, and then a series on, so what does it mean to be a Spirit-led church? Sunday morning classes that will begin today that will focus on the heart of the life and the mission of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. But today, let me share two very special opportunities as we talk about loving God and loving others. Under the umbrella of love God, and remember again, Jesus said, love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love God with every part of our being, and I want us in the weeks to come to explore, so what does it mean to love God with all of those different parts of who we are, body, soul, mind, and strength? One of those pieces is we love God with our minds which I think, among other things, mean that we have the courage to dig deeply into the Word of God, allowing Scripture to penetrate to the very core of our beings, to shape and to mold us more and more into the image of Christ. And I encourage you to take advantage of opportunities to study, certainly in your own individual lives, in your families, in our Bible classes at Monterey, in our small groups, and then I want to share with you a very special opportunity that is coming about four months from now, the weekend of January 17 through 19, 2020. We will host a seminar with Ray Vanderlaan here at Monterey. Several Monterey members have heard him in person. Many of you in your small groups have studied video materials that he has put together. We look forward to him being with us on a Friday night Saturday and then to preach on Sunday morning, he's going to challenge us to drink deeply of the Word of God. Registration for that seminar will begin next Sunday, $25 for the weekend, 25 of the best dollars you will ever spend. Let me introduce you to Ray if you're not familiar with him. Give your attention to the screens for just a moment. At the heart of the Christian walk is the Scripture the text. Ray Vanderlaan, perhaps as much as any modern scholar or teacher, has helped people re-engage with the scripture in new and fresh ways. Say Hagah. Hagah is the sound a lion makes after it's made a kill and it growls as it tears into that kill because it hasn't eaten in a while. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the path of the wicked but his delight is on God's Torah, God's revelation. And on his Torah, he hagaz day and night. His teaching will help you understand the Hebrew way of thinking, 
the cultural context, and the amazing cross-referencing that goes on from Genesis to Revelation. The Jews of Jesus' day were biblically literate. They knew their scripture, the Hebrew Bible, well. Many of them deeply committed to it. And when you read Matthew's version, if I'm a first century Jew, I'm instantly back in the story of the Exodus. RVL, a teacher like no other, the author and host of the best-selling video series that the world may know, and a man passionately devoted to the Word of God and to Jesus the Messiah. And may everything you do point to Jesus. I love those lines in Psalm 1. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, that person, that man, that woman, Hagaz, meditates day and night. Love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so again, I challenge you to engage in a study of God's Word daily, weekly, and again, a very special opportunity coming with that seminar in January. And then... Love others. In fact, let me take it even a step further. I think we're prone to look at those two, love God, love others, and say, well, here's number one, love God. Here's number two, love your neighbor, as if they were two separate commands. When in reality, what I think Jesus is saying is, no, they are intertwined. In other words, one of the clearest ways we demonstrate our love for God is the way that we treat people, the way that we love people. You cannot separate the two. In fact, I think a correct interpretation might be something like this. You are called to love God by loving others. Love others. Love people. Love your neighbor, which by the way we learn from the teachings of Jesus includes all people because all of us are created in the very image of God. Love others. Might I paraphrase by saying that means we love people we like and people we don't like. People whose skin color is different. People whose religious perspectives are different. People whose political perspectives are different. People who are strangers in our land. Those who struggle with addictions. Those who struggle with their sexual identity. Those who struggle with a thousand and one different things. And by the way, that includes all of us. What unfortunately many times we would consider as social outcast. And over the next several weeks, as we talk about belonging, as we talk about loving God and loving others, we're going to extend challenges to one another that I hope will encourage us to love others the way that Jesus loved. In fact, let me challenge you to be listening for some of those challenges, even for some of those sound bites in the weeks to come. And let me even warn you in advance as we talk about this idea of embracing and loving others the way Jesus did, some of those challenges will be incredibly challenging for us. And yet if we listen to the words of Jesus, Jesus always challenges. One tangible way for us as a church body to engage our community, to love our community, It's through a Saturday event called Love First, which we've done on a couple of other occasions at Monterey. It's an opportunity for us in groups through different projects to serve our community, to love people, to engage people. Uh, Aaron Dawson will share a bit more about that later in the assembly, give you uh, opportunities to sign up for that event. But for now, please mark Saturday morning, October 5th. 
on your calendars. Well, I've kind of rambled, but I wanted to hit those two prongs again at the heart of our mission statement as a church. Love God, love others. And so let me close in this way, and let me invite the team to come ahead and join me. Let me close in this way. And if you've tuned me out, please listen for two more minutes. One of my graduate school professors used to ask the question as we explored the Gospels together, are we willing to hear Jesus on His terms? Far too often, I think we've got our minds made up. I've got my mind made up. Far too often, we're unwilling to change. Far too often, we are unwilling to be broken. To put it bluntly, far too often, we're unwilling to hear Jesus on His terms. Maybe we place confidence in ourselves. Maybe we place confidence in our religious traditions. Maybe we've just grown accustomed to the way things are. And Jesus has the tendency to turn our world upside down because he longs to make us new, to make us new as the body of Christ. The real question is, if you keep reading Matthew 22, is the question that he poses in the very next paragraph. After he has silenced the Pharisees and the Sadducees again, he turns the table and he asks them a question. They've been posing all sorts of questions, trying to trap him, and now he turns the tables and he asks them a question. He says, and so what do you think about the Christ? Because you see, we're to the point in Matthew's gospel where Jesus has placed that claim in front of people. He is claiming to be the Christ. And so what do you think about the Christ? Do you believe that? But even beyond that, are you willing to hear Jesus on his terms? Jesus invites us to be made new. He challenges us to love God with everything that we're about and to love others, even when that is difficult, even when that stretches us beyond our comfort zones. In fact, he says everything else hinges on that. May I suggest the question is not simply, do you believe in Jesus? But as my friend Jim Beck would put it, do you believe that Jesus means what he said? Are you willing to hear Jesus on his terms? Are you willing to hear Jesus on his terms? And could I challenge you as I challenge myself to grapple with that question today and tomorrow and the next day and in the coming weeks and to answer that question honestly? And by the way, may I remind you, may I remind you, for God so loved it was love that saved us, and it is love that will change the world. Let's stand together as we sing.